So let's turn to Romans chapter 15. And we left off in verse 14. And it is my goal to get through the book of Romans tonight. And next week we will start 1 Corinthians. So see if I can do a chapter and a half. Small miracle right there if I make it. As we begin in prayer tonight, uh, without being too awkward and staring, I just want you to kind of be aware of the people who are sitting around you and maybe a little bit beyond your immediate circle if you're sitting next to a family member and maybe just uh, start to consider what may be going on in their life because in as just a moment as we begin to pray, I want you to pray for them. The person sitting in front of you, sitting behind you, uh, maybe, you know, you've got some space and you're going to have to kind of go, well, who's, who's behind me? Just begin to lift up the things that are going on in their life. And then I also want you to think of right now two churches in town, two other churches in town that come to your mind for whatever reason, and we're going to pray for them as well. And then finally, is in your own heart, what is something that, you need to give to the Lord an area that you're desiring that God would speak to you tonight. So let's pray. Father, we come to you with thanksgiving. Lord, we think of your holiness and that you would love us in that position of holiness and you would die for us so that we could be in your presence. And Lord, right now we do want to be aware of who is around us and lift up those around us to you in prayer. And so why don't you go ahead and, and lift the person in front of you and behind you and your right and your left. Just lift them up to the Lord and ask that God would meet him in a special way tonight. And then go ahead and lift up those two churches that God put on your heart tonight. now your own heart, things that you're thinking through, areas you're needing God to meet you and speak to you, lift that up to the Lord. So Father, by your grace, we ask that you would bless this study, that you'd bless this church, not by anything that we do or we don't do, but by your grace, would you bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is the soul winner, and also he's the friend maker. And we're going to see those two things as we end chapter 15, when we go into chapter 16. We see the priority in his heart to share the gospel, to be a servant of the gospel. And then in chapter 16, we're going to see how good he is at relationships and how much that means to him. And I would encourage you those two things tonight to start to pray about application, is how can you be a soul winner how can you take the gospel to areas that have not heard the love of Jesus Christ? And then how can you be a friend maker? How can we grow in the area of relationships? So let's look at verse 14 of Romans 15. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So Paul is commending them. He's saying, this is what I believe and am confident about you, that you're filled with goodness and you're filled with knowledge. And because you're filled with those two things, then you can admonish one another. 
whatever we're filled up with is going to result in how we encourage one another or the lack thereof. If I'm not filled with goodness, if I'm not filled with the knowledge of God, I'm not going to do a very good job of exhorting others. And Paul says, these are the things that I'm confident. Paul's thinking the best of the church at Rome. In verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as a reminder to you because of the grace given to me by God. So even though Paul is confident of good things in the church of Rome, it doesn't stop him from bringing an exhortation and to speak boldly. It's important for us to not shy away from these issues of truth. Paul's saying, it's a good thing for you to admonish one another, so I'm also going to admonish you as well. I'm starting to see something and notice something as I'm walking with the Lord a little bit longer, pastoring a little bit longer, time's catching up with me a little bit. There was things that I wouldn't have said seven or eight years ago that I will say now. And not so much in the teaching setting, in the pulpit setting, but sometimes in one-on-one conversation, I'll tend to hold back a little bit and think maybe that the most loving thing to do is to, to not say anything. And then time goes on and you can't replay those conversations. And I go, I need to be more discerning of what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say in that moment. And Paul as the ultimate pastor, in a sense, is saying, I'm confident you guys are doing good and there's wonderful things in the church of Rome. Nevertheless, I'm gonna speak boldly to you because I love you and I care for you. And so I've come strong in these few points. And if you know that in certain conversations, if that fits, you know, because you know, these are some things that are on my heart. I could be wrong and I'll preface that with this conversation, but maybe it's something that God wants you to share. Maybe you, like Paul, need to be a little bit more bold. Maybe we're on the receiving end, and someone's been a little bit more bold with us. We tend to be offended, don't we? We tend to go, hey, what what are you doing? Why are you talking to me that way? But that's the person that really loves you. Proverbs says that faithful are the wounds of the friend. It's the one that can look you in the eye and say, you know, I care about you. I love you. So whether we need to speak that or receive that, it's important. And Paul's also giving a reminder. We need reminders, don't we? Peter gave reminders. Paul gives reminders. We need to be reminded. Have you noticed that a lot of times we forget those things we want to remember? For instance, a Bible verse. We work so hard to try to memorize it and then boop, it's gone and we forget it. And then the things that we wish we could forget, we we just can't get them out of our minds, can't we? Unfortunately, I can remember some unappropriate jokes that I heard at ages five and six at sleepovers. I wish I could remember Sunday school lessons that I received when I was five or six, right? And the enemy, he does a good job of trying to get us to forget those verses and the truth of God's word, but yet we can remember all those things that we want to forget. So we need the reminder. And Paul's saying, I have this position because of God's grace. It's not because of who I am, but it's God's work of grace in my life. In verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, a servant of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't necessarily have it on his number one list to go to the Gentiles. We find him wrestling throughout his life. He wanted to go to the Jews, 
But God was clearly calling him to the Gentiles. Now he's owned it. He's saying, I'm a servant to the Gentiles. I go to them, serving them with the gospel of God. The best way to serve people is the gospel. And what is the gospel? That Jesus died for our sins and rose again three days later according to the scriptures. It's the gospel. It's the belief in the gospel. It's entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes lives. Paul didn't come into the Roman culture and the Roman society and say, these are all of the things I want to change with society. These are all of the wrongs with society. He had an eternal perspective. I want to introduce them to Jesus Christ, a saving personal relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing when Christ gets a hold of hearts, gets a hold of a city, gets a hold of a culture, things begin to change from the inside out. And as a church family, we never want to forget what God has called us to serve in, and that's the gospel. I would hope that the gospel remains strong in this church going forward. That when you come to services, the gospel is proclaimed because it's Jesus that changes lives. When we interact with our community, that we would serve in the gospel just like Paul does. And he says, this, this is what I'm doing. I'm going out into these areas, building relationships, being intentional about sharing the gospel with people and serving inside of the gospel. Because notice what the gospel does, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. So when people believe the gospel, they're in Christ, they become acceptable in that position. And then they're sanctified by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit comes inside of them and starts to change them from the inside out. You've probably heard this expression before, but you can't clean the fish before you catch them. If you're a fisherman or a fisherwoman, you've got to catch the fish first, then you can clean it. And we need to be caught by Christ. We need to be introduced by Christ, and then Christ cleans us up. Christ does that sanctifying work. Churches, individuals, we need to be very purposeful that we don't lose the gospel and serving in the gospel. Verse 17, therefore I have reason to glorify in Christ Jesus the things which pertain to God. For I would not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Paul wants to be careful to declare what the Lord has done amongst the Gentiles. How the gospel has had impact in saving people and in birthing churches. But he's saying, I, I don't want to boast in anything that I've done. I only want to declare what God has done. And as he went out, he went out in word and in deed. And that's important for us as we look at our lives, as we want to go out to those areas that don't have the gospel. We want to go out in word and deed. We've got to speak the word. The word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. So when we're interacting with people, to have the confidence in God's word in a natural way through relationship to speak the word of God into their lives. It's powerful. But then also, indeed, Paul went out where his lifestyle was matching up with what he taught. And that's when the power of God, the anointing of God goes out in the message. There's something different when the message is given when it's backed up with a life. You can almost feel it when you're listening. You can go, that person's giving me information and then they're giving me something that they've surrendered their life to. That's why I wanna proclaim grace because I know my life needs the grace of God. What is the grace of God? The unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. It's not just a concept. 
saved by grace. I live by grace, the power of grace. I want to share that. That's a transforming truth in my life. It's not that Paul was perfect. It's not that we're going to be perfect. But we do see Paul surrendering to the truth that he's sharing. You've heard it before. You can't give away something that you don't have. If you've got the flu, you're contagious. And we want to be contagious with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? So go out in word and deed. And the Gentiles responded. They became obedient to the gospel. In verse 19, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit, that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Iconium, I have fully preached the gospel of grace. So on Wednesday nights, we're going through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. When we finish Romans, we'll go to 1 Corinthians. So we've recently gone through the book of Acts. And verse 19 sums up Paul's ministry in the book of Acts. As he went out proclaiming the gospel, mighty signs and wonders followed to confirm the power of the gospel. Paul's intent was never to seek after the signs and wonders like we do a lot of times in Western culture. We, we want to see the supernatural. That was never Paul's intent. He just wanted to go out and see people get saved. And God, out of his love for people, confirmed the power of the gospel through mighty signs and wonders. In Mark 16, verse 17, it says that signs will follow the believer. Not that the believer is supposed to follow signs. Does that make sense? So we're just not to spend our lives looking for the signs and the wonders. We're to spend our lives going and proclaiming the gospel. And if God desires to do the supernatural, it's for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus Christ, pointing people to, to saving faith, not just trying to create a, a show. So that's important for us to, to consider. There's nothing wrong with the signs and the wonders, but it's them pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ. It wasn't what Paul was seeking after. In verse 20, and so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul, the soul winner, built his life off of this truth out of Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. He said, I'm not going to build on someone else's foundation. I want to go where they haven't heard. I want to go where Christ was not announced. This is what compelled Paul to walk on foot 1,400 miles in his recorded missionary journeys. He is literally going out of his way to find the places on this planet where people didn't know Christ as their Savior, where they hadn't heard the name of Jesus Christ. And I would encourage us to adopt this same mindset. Is where in our community is there a need for the gospel to be proclaimed? Where in the neighborhoods of this city are people not hearing the name of Jesus Christ appropriately? I'm sure a lot of times Christ is being spoken, but it's by speaking God's name in vain. It's not in the genuineness of who Christ is and the proclamation of the gospel. What are the places on this planet that God wants the gospel to be taken? One of my greatest joys in life is being able to share the gospel with somebody who's never heard it before, seeing them respond and receive a Bible for the very first time. And it happens right in this sanctuary in Colorado Springs. 
God brings people to this church and a lot of times through you, you're inviting people and they've never heard the gospel before and I get to put a Bible in their hand and I'll ask them, have you ever had a Bible before? No. And you can tell by the way that they're holding it that they've never held a Bible before in their life and begin to explain to them the very simple things of scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, what's a good place to start reading, that the words in red are the words of Jesus, and that's right here in our own community. There's places in Colorado Springs, thousands and thousands of people that have never heard the gospel. Maybe in prior generations in the United States, you might have been able to say, everybody's heard and they've accepted or rejected. But I'm telling you, right here in our city and in our country, not everybody has heard. We have a Bible illiterate culture. We have people that say, I don't believe the Bible, but they've never read the Bible. I don't believe in Christ, but they've never been able to have a loving conversation about Christ. There were times in our American culture where you might have to go thousands and thousands of miles to fulfill these verses, and that's still very much a need. I don't want to undermine international missions by any degree. Man, if God is calling you to international missions, praise the Lord, go for it. There's a lot of dark places of this, this planet, but there's also a lot of dark places inside of this country. I think one of the things that may happen in the next few years, 10 to 20 for sure, if God gives us more time on this planet, is countries that America has went and been used by God to reach are gonna send missionaries back to the United States of America. They're gonna go, the United States of America as a culture doesn't know the gospel. They're not committed to the scriptures. So we need to send people back to, to the United States. So that gets us really excited. Maybe start praying through the people that you're in relationship at work and your own family and start thinking about, have they ever heard the gospel? Have they ever read the Bible? Have they ever been invited to, to read the Bible? And a lot of times we think we have to be a Bible scholar or have it down perfectly. No, what has God done in your life? Do you know John 3, 16, 17, 18, Romans 10, 9 and 10? Could you offer to go through the book of Mark with somebody? Say, hey, let's just read the book of Mark and questions that you have, and see, see what God, God would do. This is when I think the Christian life gets really, really exciting. Some ways that you can get involved, one is a ministry that we partner with is a church is called Gospel for, not Gospel for Asia, we partner with them as well, but Global Media Outreach. There's too many acronyms for, for me to remember, but Global Media and Outreach is using technology to share the gospel with people that have never heard it before. And it's fairly simple, is people all over the world are searching Jesus out on the internet. So the, on Google or some search engine, they'll type in Jesus, and GMA, Global Media Outreach, has made sure that they're at the top of those searches, because a lot of people have put a lot of craziness under those searches, and then they click on it, and it gives them the opportunity to talk with someone via chat online about who Jesus Christ is. What's amazing is you go to these third world countries and they're online. You wouldn't expect it, but they're online. And they're searching these things out. What if someone came to your door today and knocked on your door and said, I wanna know more about Jesus? Would you respond? I don't know, I gotta pray about that one. I'm not sure. 
kind of busy, not sure if I'm going to open the door. Of course you would. You'd open the door and you'd start to talk to them. Well, they're knocking on our door via the internet. And there's probably 50 or so people from our church that are already a part of this ministry where daily they're answering questions about Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit apply this in in your life. But as a church and individuals, we want to go to those places that have not yet heard because when we go, it's dark and the gospel of Jesus Christ shines all the brighter. Let's go into verse 22. For this reason... I also have been much hindered from coming to you. So Paul's desire to go to unreached places has kept him from visiting the church of Rome up until this point. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. Paul's plan was to go to Spain, spend some time, or excuse me, go to Rome, spend some time in Rome before he goes to Spain. Did he ever make this trip to Spain? Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know. Some believe that he did. Some believe that he didn't. Some look at the end of Paul's life when he's writing to Timothy and he says, I've finished my race. And they think, well, Paul must have made it to Spain, but we don't know. We don't know if he made it to Spain We do know that he eventually made it to Rome, which we'll talk about more in just a moment. But for these two verses, 23 and 24, it does show us that Paul has a plan. Now, sometimes as believers, we think it's unspiritual to have a plan. We go, oh, there's no point in having a plan. There's no point in praying these through. I'll just take it as it goes, and it's worked out so far. It's not wrong to have a plan. What's wrong is is to not put your plan in the hands of God, to not seek God for the plan. But I do think it's wise to have a plan. This really spoke to me today. This encouragement, Paul had a plan. I should be going to the Lord and seeking out what his heart is for my family, what his heart is for my marriage, what his heart is for my kids, what what God's heart is for this church and to have a plan. And then to put that plan into God's hands and say, Lord, it's your will. I'm seeking you for a plan and I'm also entrusting it to you. Maybe you've been really afraid to make a plan. Maybe you've thought it's unspiritual to make a plan. And then you read this and you go, Paul had a plan. I think it's a good idea to have a plan and submit it to the Lord. Verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. So he says, for this moment, I'm going to Jerusalem for it's pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed that they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. This is an awesome section of scripture. We look at this and we go, man, it's just a few details, but this is rich in God's work amongst the Gentile churches as they take an offering to send to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is going through a time of suffering and famine. So they said they have real physical needs, so we're going to do this. And what's so amazing about it is it's Gentiles to Jews, and there was a huge racial barrier between these two groups, but the gospel had broken down that racial barrier. And we have a Gentile church caring for a Jewish church, and Paul's going to be this messenger of this gift. And he says... 
They've been blessed spiritually by the Jewish church, so it's appropriate for them to give materially. And I think this is a spiritual lesson for us in this area of giving. Maybe you've tried to decide, what do I give to? I know that God wants me to be a giver and be a cheerful giver and to tithe. I believe tithe and give in those places where you're spiritually being fed. Okay, I'm receiving the spiritual blessing and being loved and being fed and being cared for. And so, okay, I'm going to give to that. Maybe you're considering giving above and beyond your tithes and offerings. Is there a ministry that God's used to really build you up spiritually? Then that would be the place to give materially. Because we see that here in the book of Romans. They've been blessed spiritually, so they're giving financially. In verse 28, Therefore, when I performed this and have sealed them this fruit, I shall go my way to you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that a great way to come to people? (laughs) To come in the full blessing of the gospel? If you're going to someone's house, go in the full blessing of the gospel. If you're going to coffee with someone, go in the full blessing of of the gospel. And that is a personal choice, isn't it? Because we can go in the grumbling and complaining of the day, can't we? (laughs) We can go in our bad moods, because I sure have them. Or we can choose to go in the blessing of the gospel. Verse 30 to verse 32. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Paul asks for prayer from the Church of Rome in three areas. For protection as he goes to Jerusalem. There's a lot that don't like him in Jerusalem. A lot of Jews that didn't like his message that Christ was the Messiah. Also for acceptance among the believers. And then a safe arrival to Rome. Now, did God answer these prayers? Yes, but not in the way that would be expected. Because as you study the end of the book of Acts and Paul goes to Jerusalem, what happens? He gets severely persecuted. He gets severely beat. But God did spare his life. But he did go through a deep beating. He wasn't accepted initially, but ultimately he was. We know that from Peter's writings. And then he did arrive to Rome, but not in the way that he had intended. How did he arrive to Rome? As a prisoner. At least it was all expenses paid, right? So in this, we find this mystery of prayer. Paul sees the power of prayer, and he says, please be praying for me. I know that you're praying for the pastoral staff. We really appreciate that in our families, and we're praying for you as well, and we cover your prayers because we believe that prayer is powerful, and we're praying for you. And as we intercede for one another and those that we care for, God does hear those prayers and answer those prayers, but not always in the way that seems best to us, but in the way that seems best to him. I think it's reflected in this poem. I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have praise of men. I was given weakness that I may feel the need for God. 
I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. Almost despite myself, unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. We don't know the author of that poem. It was a Confederate soldier during the Civil War. And that's a profound prayer. It's a profound realization of God's work in his life. This is what I asked for and this is what God gave me. It didn't look like anything that I asked for, but it was better. And at the end, I was the most blessed. I think we see that in Paul's life. He prayed, others prayed for him, God answered, but it looked different than what he anticipated. In verse 33, now the God of peace be with you all, amen. You think Paul's done with the book of Romans? Nope, he's got a whole nother chapter to go. Like all good preachers, it's the psych out conclusion. In conclusion, and then we go on for 10 more minutes, right? So that's what Paul does right here. So I promise to get you out of here by 8.30. <laughs> I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church at Chantria, that you may receive her in the Lord in the manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she's been a, a helper of many and of myself also. Phoebe, our sister and servant of the church. Is there a greater commendation, a greater title? A servant of God's people. The church isn't a building. It's us. It's God's people. And she served the church. She's coming from Chantria, which is a few miles from Corinth, a seaport. And she's traveling to Rome. She probably didn't know people in Rome. So Paul writes ahead and says, make sure you greet her because she's doing a great work and she's been a great help to me. Not everybody's going to be a Phoebe, not everybody's going to be a Paul, but there are going to need to be a need for supporters, for receivers, because it takes support for people to be able to go out into these dark places of the community and the dark places of the world. Whoever was receiving Phoebe was an important part of the body of Christ. Some of you will not go to Uganda, will not go to Morocco, will not go to Mexico, but you're receiving the missionaries who do so. And that's a great blessing to that. You may not be going down to the skate park, but you're receiving those who do so. And there's an important part of that. It takes supporters to have senders. So we look at verse three. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. Dynamic duo, a couple that served the Lord faithfully, a married couple, were introduced to them in Acts chapter 18. They're in Corinth, then Paul leaves them in Ephesus. They as well were tent makers. Paul met them through that trade. And they must have traveled from Ephesus back to Rome because Paul greets them in Rome. He says, greet Priscilla and greet Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. In chapter 16, we see Paul the friend maker. He's going to mention 33 names. Every line, every word is inspired by God, and God's showing us the value of relationship, how important people are in Paul's life. Paul didn't fly solo. He wasn't a maverick. He didn't do his Christian life alone. He was connected to people, and he's expressing his love to these people. What's interesting about Priscilla and Aquila is they're mentioned six times in the New Testament, and out of four of those times, Priscilla's name comes first. And at this time in history, the husband's name always came first. And God didn't make a mistake. It was intentional. It seems as though Priscilla was more dynamic in ministry. 
she seemed to have a little bit more of the out front ministry by her personality and Aquila supported her in that. It doesn't mean that there was a mix up in roles here. I think that Aquila was that head of his home, but it shows the kind of support that Aquila gave to his wife, Priscilla. And it's a beautiful picture of serving the Lord together. In verse four, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all of the churches of the Gentiles. We don't know the story. Ask Priscilla and Aquila when you get to heaven. They put their lives on the line for the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, I'm so thankful for them. This couple was very dear to the Apostle Paul. And not only Paul, but also the churches of, of the, the Gentiles. They had touched people's hearts and lives. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. They had church in their house. Priscilla and Aquila, wherever they went, they would gather believers together in their home. Do you know you can have church anywhere and everywhere? Church isn't just at Rocky Mountain Calvary on Wednesday night at 6.30 or Saturday night or Sunday morning at, at 9 and 11. Church is, is whenever God's people get together and begin to share Christ. You can do it at Starbucks. You can do it at Panera Bread. You can do it in your home. I think your home is a wonderful place to be able to get together with believers. Invite believers into your home and just begin to talk about the things of God. Verse five, greet my beloved Epaphitus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. In Achaia, Epaphitus was the first to receive Christ and now he's in Rome and Paul remembers him. A lot of times people remember the first person they were able to lead to Christ. It really leaves a mark on, on their souls. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Mary, there's six Marys in the Bible. If you go through and study the New Testament, and every one of them is extremely different, including this Mary. She's known as a worker. She labored much for us. Means that she worked very hard. That's what the word labor meant. She seemed to meet some very real practical needs for the Apostle Paul and his team. There's a lesson here. There's six Marys, but there's all different. Be who God has made you to be. Maybe you're trying to be like another Mary. And you're like, I just can't be that Mary. Be who God has created you to be. You'll be the best you possible. In verse seven, greet Adronicus and Juna, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Think about the bond that Paul had with these two individuals. They were countrymen and they served time in prison together for Christ. Amazing bond that he would have had with these. In verse eight, greet Ampilus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Stachicus, my beloved. Greet Apilus, approved in Christ. So Paul's just sharing the love here. You can just see him as he's writing this letter. Actually, he's dictating it. We'll see that in a moment. It's being written down. And he's thinking of all of these people that he loves in Christ Jesus. That's the way it should be. I hope that your time here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, however long God has you here, whether it's 10 years, 15 years, 15 months, then he may call you to another church or another, another community. But I hope that your time here would result in 10 or 15 really cool relationships. There you go. You know, say hi to so-and-so. <laughs> I'm so, so thankful for them. And say hi to so-and-so. And they've become part of my life. And so a lot of times we wonder, how do these bonds happen? 
How do we go from a room like this to being able to having those kind of relationships? It takes some type of investment outside of this big group gathering. It's in getting involved in serving. A lot of times we make these kind of connections as we serve together. Everybody on this list is people that Paul has served with. That's been my experience as well. My strongest friendships are with people that I serve with inside of the body of Christ. If you want that kind of bond, start serving in a ministry. Start being an usher, be in children's ministry, the worship team, the media ministry. Just pick one and stick with it. You're going to get to know people. Get involved in men's ministry, women's ministry, a small group. Sometimes it doesn't have to be anything official or organized, but it's, hey, let's go get some pie over at Village Inn afterwards. Let's grab lunch. Why don't you come over to my house? But it takes some kind of investment over a period of time for these kind of relationships to develop. But this is God's intent and desire for the church. Is, and we get an example. We get a taste of it here. We'll keep going. Greet those who are in the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. So probably related to Herod, who had come to know Christ. And Paul's saying he's my countryman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophona and Tripophis, who labored in the Lord. Some great Bible names here. If you're looking for a name for your child, if you're expecting. Have not had Tryphenia or Tryphosis in any baby dedication, so if you'd like to be the first, they're up for grabs tonight. Just go ahead and share them on Facebook and Twitter. You're sure to get some comments. Greet the beloved and Persisus who labored much in the Lord. Here's a good one. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. I love the name Rufus, but we did not name our son Rufus. It's probably a better name for, well, I'll stop in case your name's Rufus. <laughs> Is anybody named Rufus? Okay, I can say it then. It's a great name for a dog, isn't it? Like if you had a big giant dog, Rufus, you know? So Rufus is mentioned in Mark as well, and some think it's the same individual. We find Simeon who carried the cross of Christ. His son was named Rufus, and it could potentially be the same man. And if that is true, carrying the cross of Jesus Christ, identifying with the cross does impact our, our children. But most importantly, we know this, he's chosen the Lord. Wouldn't that be an encouragement? This epistle, this letter is being read to the church of Rome. And here you are, Rufus, and you hear this encouragement. Hey, you're chosen in the Lord. God chose you. God knows you. He knows what you're going through. Maybe he was going through a time of difficulty and he needed that encouragement. And then Paul says, Rufus, his mother and mine. So in a way, Rufus's mom had developed that bond with the apostle Paul as well. Greet our Sintratus, Philegon, Hermas, Hieropolis, Hermas, I'm sure I'm slaughtering those, and the brethren who are with them, greet Pilogolus, Julia, Nurses, and his sister, Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now, every once in a while, one of you dudes in the fellowship start trying to plant so-called holy kisses on gals in the fellowship. You can't be doing that. I'm sorry. This is not the Middle East. And if you start going around kissing people, it's not going to be good for you, right? 
this is the cultural greeting, and you still see this in the Middle East today where they kiss each other on both sides uh, of the cheek. But, so what do we do? We do the holy handshake, you know. We do the holy hug. It's the side hug on the tap on the shoulder. Good to see you. Right. This is America. We have personal boundaries. Don't be trying to kiss me on the face, you know. This is a, this is a no-kiss zone right here. One of you is going to try it after service. I just know it. <laughs> Greet each other with a holy handshake. <laughs> Verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division or offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. What's the doctrine we've learned in the book of Romans? It's the doctrine of grace. It's the grace of God that comes through belief and the finished work of Jesus Christ. So someone who teaches salvation apart from Christ, note them and avoid them. Notice it doesn't even say try to convince them. It's look at their cause of offense, their cause of division, note them as a false teacher, and then avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Watch their lives. They're not serving Christ. They're not preaching Christ. They're serving their own gain, their own belly. But they sound good. They've got smooth words and they give great compliments, but they're deceiving the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come known to all. Obedience speaks. Obedience speaks. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. So Paul's encouraging. He's saying what's going on is awesome, but I also want to give you a warning is you need to be wise concerning what's good. Be an expert in what is good and then be innocent concerning what is evil. This is good marching orders for us. We should be in conversations with people and they go, have you heard? And they go on with some kind of perversion. No, I haven't heard. I'm not going to spend my days trying to be an expert on every perverted thing under the sun. But hopefully... I want to be an expert on what is good. I want to spend my time thinking about what is good, what is true, and what is noble. So that's encouragement for us, is be wise in what is good, but be simple, be innocent concerning what is evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It seems like those two things shouldn't go together. The God of peace crush Satan underneath your foot, right? So God brings peace to those who are in Christ, but the enemy of God is Satan, and he wants to crush Satan because Satan is destroying people's peace. Satan comes in to steal, to kill, and destroy. So God's the one who brings victory over Satan. We turn that over to the Lord and ask that God would fight that battle for us. A few more greetings. So he's giving greetings to those that are in the church of Rome, Now he gives greetings from those who are traveling with him. Timothy, my fellow worker, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, or Sopater. Some have translated his name as such as Sopater. He did not like to take a bath. But it's probably Sosipater. My countrymen greet you. Paul doesn't do ministry alone. He's not traveling alone. And as you serve the Lord and God's calling you to take the gospel, take somebody with you. Jesus always sent people out in twos. Ministry is more effective, it's more sustaining, it's more healthy, it's more fun to do it together with someone else. 
If you decide, you know, I'm gonna teach the three-year-olds in children's ministry, you will have more fun doing that with someone else that is not a three-year-old. You can have an adult conversation while you're teaching those three-year-olds. You're reaching out to someone in your neighborhood and say, would you join me in prayer as I reach out to this neighbor, to this family member? Don't get isolated. Don't do ministry alone. I, Tertus, who wrote this epistle, greet you. So Paul's dictating and he's taking down the words of Paul and recording it in the book of Romans, this letter of Romans. This is a great example of the body of Christ. Not everybody's an apostle Paul, This man wasn't an apostle Paul, but he was good at taking down Paul's thoughts and writing them out for him. Gaius, my host, the host of the whole church, greets you, the person that Paul's staying with. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. So someone who is well-known in the city has come to know Christ. Cortus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith, to God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever, amen. Where does Paul leave the church of Rome And where does Paul leave us in the gospel that's been revealed? It's hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament that we currently enjoy this evening. He leaves us in the grace of God. He leaves us in the wisdom of God. He leaves us in the glory of God. So the application for tonight's Bible study, I think it's important that we try to apply the word soul winner and friend maker. Are we concerned with souls? Are we concerned with those around us in our community and throughout this world that don't know Christ as their savior? It's wise to be concerned with souls, to be committed to declaring and taking the gospel. Make it our aim. We always need to be reminded of that. And then be a friend maker. Be a friend maker. Invest in the body of Jesus Christ. Be somebody who looks outside of ourselves to others and say, I wanna invest in relationships I want to be connected to others. And then as we end the book of Romans, this is my prayer for us, is that the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ has impacted our hearts. I hope you know grace through this study, that we don't have right standing with God by what we do, our devotional life, our giving, our righteousness. It's all filthy rags. We are justified, declared righteous because of our faith in Jesus, his death, his resurrection. As we believe in his death and resurrection, we're declared righteous by God. That position of grace that we're his sons and his daughters. And if you need to go back and review the first part of Romans, it starts with the bad news, doesn't it? We're all sinners but then it so eloquently declares the grace of God and what it means in our lives. I know in my life I need to be rooted in God's grace and I hope in your life you're rooted in God's grace because that's the truth of God's love, his forgiveness, his acceptance, and everything flows out of that. Start reading ahead. We're gonna get into 1 Corinthians next week. So let's stand together and let's pray. 
Father, thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you that we made it through it. It's a joy to study. But more than anything else, we pray it would bring fruit in our lives, that you'd bring back the truth of your grace. Lord, help us to be concerned with souls, to take the gospel, to be servants in the gospel. May we never think that it's something else that is gonna change lives. It's you, Jesus. And Lord, would you also help us in relationships? Sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes we feel lonely. Would you bless the relationships inside of this church in a way that would bring you glory and bring us joy. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.